Welcome to Cooper Talk, uh, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. We um, we have, I'm very excited to have my guest today. She, I, and I'll say it, she's a legend. You know, amazing, amazing performer. You know, has been in the business for years. And my guest is Lita Ford. How you doing, Lita? Hi, Cooper. Thanks for having me. So you said you're now. Where are you driving to? You said you're driving through the hills. Where are you, where are you, where are you off to? Well, I live up in Canyon Country, California, and uh, we actually got forty eight hours home, uh, if you can believe that. <laughs> so during the forty eight hours, they put a show in San Diego. So we're driving from. Uh, the Los Angeles area down to San Diego to do the show tomorrow. No rest for the wicked. I know. I'm telling you, well, <laughs> it's just it's just the rock and roll life. Now, I, I was reading somewhere you started. When did you start playing guitar? I know I read something that you you really liked Richie Blackmore as as a young child. Or when did you get into music? And was your house a, a musical household? How did you start this whole you know amazing career? Yeah, I did. Um, I just loved Richie Blackmore and, you know, Deep Purple, Burn, uh, Highway Star, all, all those songs. They were so, so much uh, of an influence to me in my life, my guitar playing. I wanted to learn how to play, how he learned how to play, you know, the double picking guitar parts and so slinky. He's got these slinky parts he calls the Snake Charmer. And it, basically, it's in a minor key. And uh, he was a huge influence on my life. And when I was a young girl in The Runaways, I got to meet Richie Blackmore. I went to his house, and uh, he showed me a few things on guitar. He, uh, he brought out a cello. He played cello for me. It, it was just the most amazing. He is the most amazing person. I, I just absolutely adore him. How did you quiet? He's not a hellraiser, you know. Just awesome guy. Now, how did you gravitate towards the music? I mean, when did you start getting an interest in music? At, a, at what age? Because you know, you, you loved Richie Blackmore, but how did you get to the point where you you loved Richie Blackmore and you just loved music? What was your start into following music and then picking up a guitar? Well, I really loved heavy music, uh, the riff. The rock riff is what really sucked me in. Uh, Black Sabbath and, and, you know, just the ballsy riff that, that hard rock had and that it still does. Uh, it really sucked me in. I wanted to be able to play it. And uh, it was funny because my, my mother, it, when I was 11 years old, I said, Mom, Christmas is coming and I really want a guitar for Christmas. So she buys me this uh, acoustic plastic string <laughs> guitar, you know, one that the Sears special. <laughs> and uh, I learned how to play Smoke on the Water and all these Black Sabbath riffs on this Sears model guitar. Even though it wasn't the right guitar for the job, I still learned to play all these riffs on this guitar. So a 
couple of summers went by, and I said, Mom, this isn't the right guitar. I really, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I, I, I really want something with steel strings, you know? I was trying to hint that I wanted an electric guitar. And so she bought me another acoustic with steel <laughs> strings. And I thought, oh, no. I went out and got a job because I couldn't ask for that a third time. My parents, you know, guys, I got to have an electric guitar, which means I need an amplifier, which means I need cables, which means I need this, I need that. So I went out and got a job at St. Mary's Medical Center in Long Beach, California, and it was this huge medical center. And my mother was friends with the general manager of the food service department. And I thought, oh, they can find something for me here. I just got to lie about my age because I was only 14. And you have to be 16 in the state of California to get a job. So I went in and my mother says, in her thick Italian accent, she says, Lisa, stuff your bra with some tissue. <laughs> and I went, what? She says, put your tissues in your bra. It gives you more. <laughs> so it made my breast look bigger. And uh, it, it actually sold to the general manager of, of the medical center. She believed me when I said I was 16 and I got the job. So I saved up 300 and it was either 350 or $375 that I saved up to buy a chocolate Gibson SG which was my first electric guitar. And uh, that thing was just, I don't know, it, it was special to me because, first of all, I bought it. And then I was able to transpose all these great riffs from Black Sabbath and Deep Purple over to a real electric guitar. And it just took me that one step further. So, so I don't know. It was just in my blood. So you started playing, and you're, you're, you're getting the niche of it. Now, how, how did the Runaways come about? Because, you know, you were 14, you got the guitar, you start working on that. The Runaways, you're, when you're 16, how is that? Were you playing local gigs in L.A. between that time, or were you just meeting people? Or how did that whole, you know, how did you get involved with them? this. 
Hollywood back in Long Beach, California. He got my phone number somehow. Well, back then, getting phone numbers was so easy. You just find out their last name and pick up the, the yellow pages. There's the phone number. So uh, he called me, gave me the rap of a lifetime, and I auditioned for the Runaways. <laughs> Got the gig because I played the solo for Highway Star, which was just a monstrous solo. And Sandy uh, and I, the drummer, we hit it off great. What was it like? I mean, being you know so young that you know it's young, and you're in the, you're in the music business all of a sudden, and it's your dream. Of course, you've been playing for a long time, but do you think it's because you because um, you're young? Like a lot of times, people are young; they have no fear. Did you just go like head in and just immerse yourself in it, or what was it like? Because you are young, and I mean, what was what was going on in your life at the time? Uh, school. I had to go to school every day. Um, which was difficult because Hollywood was so far from my house. After school, I would hop in my car and I would drive the opposite direction about 30 minutes to Huntington Beach to go pick up Sandy. And then I would drive back towards Long Beach, past Long Beach, up into Hollywood, probably took us, I don't know, two, three hours to get to rehearsal. And we would show up about uh, four or five o'clock, and uh, we would rehearse a couple hours. And then I would turn around, have to take her home, back to Huntington Beach, and then drive home myself. It was brutal. We were exhausted. You know, it... It's, you learn to rock. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, you talk to people, because I lived in L.A. for 15 years. When you talk to people, they don't understand when you tell people there's an hour extra of traffic. They're like, whatever. And, and people don't get that, especially, you know, because it is a long ride. It must be exhausting, and you're going to school. I mean, what, what, what did your parent, what did your mom think? My parents were the best. I couldn't have had better parents. getting the success and how and, and, and what is that like for you also being at a very young age 
And then it's great that your parents were supportive of you because I think that's so important because so many people, their parents are like, you know, Duh, we don't want you to do that. You know, you're wasting your time. But what was it like when you started getting your success? When did the success start coming? And when was it like when you first went into the studio? What was that like for you being such a young kid? It was almost instant, instantaneously because we were girls and Kim Fowley was a good con artist he could con anybody into loving or believing anything and he was you know he was known for that so he got into studios he got us into rehearsal studios recording studios he got he, he bought us time to go in and play um, he got us a record deal probably within the first year I'd say we put together a whole album. We rehearsed it. We did live shows. We sold out the whiskey four nights in a row. It was the largest attendance they had ever had. And uh, we still hold number one place at the whiskey. The, the line for the runaways went down the street around the rainbow and around the back of the ring, up the street, four nights in a row. It was just insanity. Because people, we were a novelty back then. We were child prodigies. There weren't any girl rockers, punk rockers. I, you know, I say punk. We were punk. Um, you know, we weren't pop rock. We were Ramones, we were Sex Pistols, and we had an attitude. We loved every minute of it. It was awesome. When you say you had an attitude, what was your attitude like? Were you just, you know, carefree, just jamming hard? And what would you, looking back, what would you say that attitude was for the Runaways when when you guys were starting out? Um, You know, it, it was really bizarre because we did whatever we wanted to do. Like, for instance, we'd walk into a radio station and we'd pull the fire extinguisher off the wall and just douse the, the disc jockey with this fire extinguisher stuff, you know, it puts out fires. If you did that today, they'd throw you out so fast. <laughs> they loved it back then. They loved it. I think most of the people that are in the music industry that are disc jockeys or have done something in the music industry have a runaway story. You know, everywhere I go, it's like, wait, I remember you back in 1978 when you did this and you did that. And I'm like, Look, oh, God, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> so so you're, you're raising hell. Now, what was going on with the band? Was it, was it hard to get, a, you know, was it hard to get along a little bit just because you guys were so young? And it, it's still, it's like you're, you're, you're living a life that most people would, you know, dream of, and you're doing it at a, such a young age. How did it affect you personally when you were getting this success? Um, it, it didn't really affect me personally. I was the strong, honestly, I was the strongest one in the band um, because of my parents. Joan didn't have the parents I had. Her father had split up with her mother at a younger age. 
Cherie's uh, parents were actors and actresses, and they were always gone and doing their own thing, different places at different times. And uh, Sandy, Sandy's mother had divorced and remarried, so she lived with the stepfather, who was not supportive at all. It was such a drag. And we would talk about it on our drives. Like, if I picked her up uh, for rehearsal, Sandy would come stomping down the stairs, and I could tell by the look on her face that her mother and father were not happy. Her mother and her stepfather were not happy she was going to rehearsal. And uh, she would tell me about it. And uh, I just, I just, my heart went out to her because my parents were so supportive. I was the lucky one. I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. I, th I think we do that a lot. You know, it's like I always say my parents, you know, when they, when I was younger, they would take, take us to art museums. And as a kid, I hated it. But then years later, I, I knew that they got painted ballerinas. And I knew different stuff. And I'm like, wow, you know, they were, they, they did well. And as a kid, you don't, you don't think they're doing well, but you're right. You look back later and you go, man, my parents were kick ass. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. My ex-husband used to say, yeah, you should be so happy you had parents like you did. And I used to think, what the heck does he mean by that? Right. His parents were, uh, don't even want to get into that. But So, so now... Yeah, he was right. Now, now with the Runaways, your, your parents were supporting you and they, they were behind you. And now, when did you guys, did you guys start touring? Where were some of the places you would play? And what was that like being on the road at a young age? We couldn't play in places that served alcohol. Uh, we had to have somebody with us that was um, an adult, like a chaperone. We needed somebody to watch us all the time, um, you know, like a teacher in a classroom. So we took Jackie's mother with us, and she was great. I loved Jackie's mother. Um, she, she was single, she wasn't married, and uh, she was just a lovely lady, and she let us do whatever, whatever we wanted to do. You know, she never asked any questions, although she should have. <laughs> she never gave us any grief. She was great to be around. So you're out, you're touring. So now, when, when does it happen? What happens with the band? Is there, is there a static or what, what led to the breakup? Well, um, we were just, you know, when you go through the teenage years in any child, it doesn't matter who you are, you change. You, you become a kid from a kid to an adult. You know, that, that's a huge hormonal change. That's why they call it the raging hormone years, you know, because it, it really is. And uh, I was the oldest. Joan was the second oldest. She was three days younger than me. So we were, we were really pretty much dead on the same, same birthday. Um, so I became older first. And plus I had... 
a real stable relationship with my parents, which helped. And uh, I had myself together. I knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to put up with any stupidness, um, you know, like, uh, oh, I didn't show up for the photo session because I was hungover or anything like that. Like, I don't care if you're hungover. You're going to show up. We're paying money for these sessions. We need this session. This is an album cover shoot. Oh, I, I had to pick my sister up from school. It's like, you know, I, it's not my problem. Have her take a cab. You know, it's just... And uh, I tried to keep it that way with the band. And a lot of the times, I would get called names by the other girls in the band because I wasn't doing what they wanted me to do. And I, I just wanted to work. I wanted to move up. I wanted to get better. I wanted to just keep getting better. I would say prayers to God to make me better. Of course, Richie Blackmore was always included in those prayers. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, when you say you want to get better, at that time, were you playing all the time, practicing by yourself? I mean, were you someone that was really dedicated to learning the guitar and just becoming the best guitarist you could? I mean, how did you get so good? I mean, were you, was it that you were playing and, you know, when they were, you know, as I said, not showing up to stuff, were you always concentrating and jamming and just trying to make yourself better? I really did. Um, I had a star, and it, it was my my star. I dubbed it my star. So when the sun went down at night, we were traveling. We'd be driving in a car, looking out the window, or whatever. I would find the star, and I would make my wish on the star to make me a better guitar player. And it's funny because even after I had my children and after 2001, Rocco was born in 2001, I would still make wishes on that star, you know, for my children and for myself and just make us watch over us, make us better people and watch over us, make us good at what we do. So you had the star and that was a guiding light. Now, now, and you're getting better in guitar, and you're playing, and you're really learning your craft. Now, when you guys finally break up, what is going through your mind, as in what are you going to do? I mean, you know you're good, you know you've had success, but it's got to be something different when you know all of a sudden you think, I'm, I'm going to have to go on a solo career when you've been involved with the band, and wasn't your music, weren't you going a little away from the music? Didn't the band want to be more punkish, and you want to be more hard rock towards the end of the, of the group? Uh. I don't know what they wanted to be. I, I guess they wanted to be pop rock. Um, I was relieved because we weren't really getting along that well. There was a lot of drugs floating around, and they weren't all mine. Uh, you know, I, I, I really drank more than I did drugs at that age. I was more into drinking Jack Daniels or um, Johnny Walker. But uh, when it came to the hard stuff, like heroin and things like that, I just, I hadn't gotten into any of that. And uh, I knew what I wanted to do. So 
if I started at age 16, the Runaways broke up approximately four or five years later, I was only 21. And I had already gone through a complete lifetime of rock and roll. Really, we did it all. We visited every country. You know, we met every person there is to meet. We were hanging out with people like Kiss, Queen, um, you name all the big rock stars. They were our buddies. We were hanging out and jamming. What is that like? I mean, at such a young age, I mean, what goes through your mind? You know, you're hanging with legends and you guys are, as you said, when the band broke up, you were 20 or 21. What goes through uh, someone's mind? Because we all, you know, we all get starstruck. Was there anyone that when you met, when, you know, when you were the runaways that you were just like, just like, oh my God, I I can't believe I'm, I'm meeting this person. Um, I think it was Richie Blackmore. He was the one that made my hands shake when I went to his house and I was climbing up these stairs and you couldn't see his house from the street. You had to climb up these this flight of stairs and uh, so I parked the car and Richie is very spiritual um, almost in the white magic I I didn't want to say satanic but it's kind of white magic not black magic he would do things like for instance the first day I went to his house he uh like I said, you couldn't see the car from the street, from the house. So I get into his kitchen, and we're standing there talking. And he says to me, hmm, that's a very interesting picture. I said, what picture? He said, the picture in the dashboard of your car. And I said, it's in an envelope. How can you see that? I mean, it was in an envelope, not just in the dashboard of my car. So from that moment on, he freaked me out. And we became good friends, and he would do really bizarre things. You know, I mean, I guess it wasn't hard to figure out that it was an 8x10 envelope. But um, for me, it was, because I was only 18. Right. (laughs) <laughs> so so after you guys break up you said you know you wanted to do how do you start getting into your solo career where what avenues do you take were people sign were looking to sign you right away or or was it something like you know is she ready to do a solo career and and what kind of music did you want to play um i knew exactly what i wanted to do i felt like my life had just begun that I hadn't missed out on anything. You know, I I lived my teenage years touring the world and meeting every rock star out there. Um, I I went through college. That was my rock and roll school of college. And uh, after it was done, Joan went her way. I went my way. Sandy and I stuck together for a while because we got along so well musically. But drugs got in the way of me and Sandy, and uh, that didn't work out. And then um, 
Jackie wanted to be a lawyer. And then um, the other girls wanted to go off and do their own thing. So it, I was fine with it. You know, it was like, okay, talk to you later. You know, we, I don't even think we realized we broke up. <laughs> now, now, nobody so, ever. Okay, no one ever said anything. Nobody ever said no. Nobody ever said we broke up. It's like, okay, you broke up now. This is it. Say goodbye. So, that never happened. It was just we all just went home and never came back. So what was what was it like when you first recorded your first solo album? Were you a little bit scared? Did you write the the music? You know, did you put everything together? How did you get a band together? I mean, you know, you're this guitarist and you're a singer. How did you shape that first album? Uh, Kim Fowley was a big part of that, and um, this is where I take my hat off to Kim. He taught us a lot, and I think that a lot of people don't give Kim the credit that he deserves. He had a vision to create a teenage all-girl Dale Bait punk rock band, troublemakers that everyone loved. You know, people just, so, not everyone, but a lot of people love that rebellious rock and roll. And uh, he had a vision to create it. He knew how. He had been in the studio before. He knew the right people to bring in, the producers, the engineers. Um, Jackie didn't play bass on the first album, so we brought in... Um, oh, jeez. I'm drawing a blank. Hugh McDonald. He came in and uh, play bass, and um, it was great. And I don't know, it just, everything flowed very easily because there was Sandy and I. And uh, I think because the two of us were already great musicians, we were able to carry the rest of the band. And Cherie, with her, with her own vocal style, and Joan backing her up, it just worked. But then again, going through the teenage years, that's the changing point of your life. So it didn't last long. You know, it didn't last for decades. It lasted, what, four or five years? Right. Now, now when you record your first solo album, it didn't do commercially that great. What was that like for you to deal with it? Were you very happy with this, this album? And were you irritated because you had becoming off a, a lot of success with the Runaways? Uh, no. When I recorded my first solo album? Yeah. I wasn't irritated at all because what I had done is I reinvented myself. And, uh, I cut my hair, I changed my clothes completely, I got a new guitar, um, I got a new band, they were guys, and I was the only guitar player in the band. I really wanted to put it across to the audience and the fans that 
I was the one playing guitar, that it wasn't some guy behind the curtain. Because people wouldn't accept the fact that a female was playing guitar like that, more so than any other instrument. And uh, this was something that was jaw-dropping. And I got signed to Mercury Records within three months. Now, why don't you think, so, why don't you think people would believe that a, a, the woman was playing guitar? Just because there wasn't anyone out there at the time or because all the guitarists were males? I mean, why would people believe that? And that must be a little, well, it must have been a little frustrating for you, but at the same time, it must have been you wanting to sit there and go, this is me. Yeah, it was frustrating, but still, I was the only one doing it. And, you know, I felt like... Uh, I liked watching their jaws drop. <laughs> I liked the shock and awe factor. I mean, so eventually, after a couple of albums, I was able to add another guitar player to the band, and we, we were able to play harmonies, and we were able to... I was able to put down the guitar and just sing, which... At first, I wasn't a singer. I had to teach myself. I knew how to play guitar. That came naturally. That I was a child prodigy on guitar. But as singing, as far as singing goes, I had to learn. Now, how do so, you how do you go about learning how to sing? What do you do? Because as you said, you already know you're you have musical talent because you're a child prodigy. But how do you learn to sing? What what are the steps you take? Do you take lessons? You just sing like you practice guitar when you're a kid. How did you go about it? I I got a job. I told you I got a job, so I had money coming in, and I rented a warehouse where I set up my guitar and I rented a, um, a PA system for my vocals. And I went in by myself. Oh, sorry, my phone's ringing. Ah! Okay, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, I rented this warehouse, got a PA system, got my guitar, my amp, and went in and just sang my favorite songs and tried not to look at the neck of the guitar. You know, it, a lot of people hide behind their hair when they had hair. They would hide behind their hair and they would stare at the neck of their guitar. And I wanted to stare at the audience. I didn't want to hide behind my hair. I wanted to, I wanted to entertain the audience. So I would force myself not to look at the neck of the guitar. I took off, I had a guitar made where I took off the dots and I didn't know where I was. Even if I looked at the guitar, I didn't know what, what fret I was on. So that helped. And pretty soon I learned, it's almost like reading Braille because each fret on a guitar is different than the one before it. They're further apart, you, you, and, and you can feel it when you get to learn how to feel it. You know, when you, when you actually force yourself to learn that way, you can feel the difference. 
it's pretty cool. So you just kept trying, you kept singing, you kept getting better. Now, when you said when you when you, eventually with your band, you know, when you had a second guitarist, you would just sing. Was that hard for you to do because you were such a guitar, good guitarist? Were you sitting there saying, this guy's got to deliver because he's got some big shoes to fill? Me? Did I say that? Yeah, in your mind, did you think that, you know, you when you said some of the songs you just sang and you put the guitar down, was it hard for you to watch someone else play guitar as you just sang because you were such a good guitarist that, you know, the person who's playing has your shoes to fill somewhat? Um, no, not really. I, you know, that was their problem. I, I never really worried about other people. But I had my, I had people I like to watch that made me feel that way. Like Johnny Winter was one. You know, he was partially blind, so he couldn't see the neck of his guitar even if he looked at it. And he would just effortlessly stroll around that stage with that white hair and scarves hanging from his guitars. And he was so badass, and he never looked at his guitar. He was always looking at the audience or trying to see the audience. And now what I do is I tell the, uh, the lighting director to dim the lights because I, I want to see the audience. I don't want to look at a spotlight all night. I want to see what the audience is doing. So I'll, I'll say to the lighting director, can you do something with that thing? Can you dim it? Can you get it off? Because they put it on you and they leave it on you. And throughout throughout the whole show, you don't get to see your fans. So I tell them, turn that damn thing off. Shine it on the audience so I can see them. And they go nuts. Right. They love it. <laughs> So, so when you're you're getting you know you're you're on your solo career, how did you end up uh, with uh, Osborne Management, and 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 that just brought you to another level? What was that like? Was it? What, did you know right away when you signed with them, good stuff was going to happen? Oh yeah, um, well Sharon, Sharon was the best at the time, and you know she might still be, I don't know. And then um, Ozzy was voted best male vocalist in rock and I was voted best female vocalist in rock so Sharon managed both of us and uh, when we got together Ozzy came to the studio and we ended up writing Close My Eyes Forever it was a hit on my album which was funny because Sabbath had had so many records out before me but they were too heavy metal, and the radio stations wouldn't give them a top 10 hit single because they were too heavy. But I wasn't. I was more on the, the lighter heavy metal side. <laughs> the lighter, I don't know, I don't want to call it pop, but it wasn't the heavier pop. It wasn't the heavier riffs. So uh, it, went top, it went to number eight. And um, it was Ozzy's first top ten hit single. Now, when you guys recorded that, did you know it was going to hit just because you guys both were, you know, voted the two best, you know, the male and female? Did you know, I mean, when you were laying that down, did you say this is going to be a big hit? Did you have that feeling it would be a hit? 
Um, we knew. Yeah, we knew. The record company knew. They were flipping out. And it really didn't happen on purpose. Like, we didn't schedule a time. You know, we didn't say, okay, at uh, 1 o'clock on Friday, we're going to meet and we're going to write. And we didn't do that. They just showed up at the studio. They had a housewarming gift. So I just bought a new house, thanks to Sharon and my hard work. <laughs> and uh, I got this uh, housewarming gift, which was a life-size duplicate of Coco the gorilla from the San Diego Zoo. Do you remember the gorilla that used to hold the kitten? Yeah, yeah. I remember Coco. So they they bought me this life-size <laughs> duplicate of Coco the gorilla. And uh, Ozzy and I got ripped. And we ended up writing Close My Eyes Forever. What, so it was cool. What was it like with the videos back then? Because videos, you know, play such a... Back then played such a big part of music and now it doesn't what was it like when you were shooting videos back then was it a did you ever did you have input in the video or did they or did you just basically go and jam oh rascal come here my dog has to walk through spider webs really okay no 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 um videos were awesome i loved them they were so much fun um you know you get to dress up any way you want to dress up you get to do whatever you want to do in a video if you want to kick someone's butt you get to kick their butt <laughs> yeah it's just it's so much fun um a lot of work i remember um kiss me deadly took 24 hours to shoot so we arrived at sunup to start hair and makeup and we left at sunup the next day and I remember coming home and there had been a storm and all my power was out we had no water we had no lights oh my god so we just went to bed of course but uh, it's a lot of work videos were awesome and they ruled the songs, they created the songs, MTV, just, they, they made, they gave the songs a face, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like that's, they gave them a, we all watched them and that's what you would buy. You know, you'd sit there, everyone, that's, you know, we would sit in the TV and watch them and then you'd sit there and you go, okay, man, well, we got to check this album out. To see what other good songs are on. Right. And then it was such a great marketing tool for young people who were hitting music. It was awesome. So so your career, you know, with, you're, you're hitting the top of the charts. You're doing great. And um, eventually you decided to walk away from music for a while. What led you to doing that? Because, I mean, you were very popular. You were, you were an amazing guitarist. You still are. But it, you, did you, you decided to leave the business to raise your children? Was that a hard decision or was it something that because you had such good parents, you wanted to do the same? Well, that's true. That came later. Once I found out I was pregnant, that, that kicked in because I, I wanted to be like my mother and father when I found out I was pregnant. But I left the music industry because I was tired. It had been... God, 
how long did this see? 1975. I left in 19... It had been 20 years. It was 20 years, because I left in 94, almost 20 years. And uh, I was ready for a break. I was bored. I was bored with doing the same old thing. And um, I wanted to have a child. So... So you leave the business. Now, was what, what was it like when you left? Because I know you were tired and it was getting boring, but it was such a, a, a life. I mean, it's a rock star life. And there's only so many people that can be a rock star. They can, you know, be adored and, you know, critically acclaimed the guitar playing and getting to see the world. What is it like when you sit there and just decide? Was it, I mean, I know you wanted to do it, but in the beginning, did you, did you miss it a little bit? Were you sitting there going, you know, you, I know you had the idea, you know, you were going to be a mom, but were you like... I mean, when you do something for so long, you just must be used to it. it. Must be second nature. Well, being a mom did not come second nature because I didn't know what all you know all these blankets were for, and what do you do with this blanket? You know, and I remember my girlfriend going, "Well, you fold it over like this, and you just wrap them up like a little burrito." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I had my books and. Babies don't come with manuals. Thank God there's books out there on, on what to do with what. Or I studied them religiously. Um, but I, I didn't miss the music industry for a while. It, it took a couple of years, and uh, it, it started to get kind of lonely without guitars laying around everywhere. Cause what happened was we moved to the Caribbean, and um, in the Caribbean, there was no guitars because of the salt water. I left them in the in the islands. Um, I didn't bring. I brought one acoustic and one electric because of the salt water. I didn't want it to rot or anything like that. So I got a storage unit in California, and I left everything here. And then uh, in. In the islands, I didn't play much because I was so busy with my son. I, I just, I homeschooled my kids, um, two boys, and um, I, I just wanted to be a mom like my mom was for me. I wanted to be there, and my dad, I don't want to leave my dad out because my dad taught me a lot of things. My dad had nine sisters. Wow. So... Growing up, he never had guys in his life. You know, it, it wasn't like, I'm going to go play with my brother. He had one brother and 11, 11 sisters. Um, the one brother was killed at 19 in the Korean War. Horrible. And uh, then my dad died in 1988 from brain cancer. And uh, after my dad died, um, I got pregnant, and I had two boys. Not at the same time, of right. course, but I had two boys, and I just was devastated because I wanted him to see them. I wanted him to know that he had two sons, two grandsons. So you, you raised... But you raised the, the sons and, you know, and it was like, and it's just crazy because he had so many, your dad had so many sisters and then two sons come out, but you raise the son, you're raising the sons. Uh, when do you decide that you want to come back to music? 
My my children got to be a little older. They didn't need mommy 24-7. You know, they weren't little babies. And uh, I just thought it's a good time to come back. Um, back. So we moved back to Florida. Have you read my book by any chance? No, I wanted to ask you about the book. When do you wrote, How did the book come about? Was it, this is all in the book? A lot of it is in the book. A lot of it is. And uh, it tells you in detail a lot of stories. I didn't hold anything back in the book. But, how, um, how did the book come about? It was something that I felt I had to do, being the only female in rock at the time. You know, it was before the Chrissy Hines and before the Pat Benatars. It was really the Runaways came out at the same time as Heart, but they weren't in an all-girl band. So it, it really separated us. Um, I wanted to, to put a book out so people would know what I went through because it's never going to happen again. And I felt it needed to be, it needed to be documented somehow, some way. And uh, I wanted that book to come out, and it had to be perfect. So I went through different authors. Um, some of them sucked. <laughs> and uh, I, I ended up paying them to go away. <laughs> you know, just like, dude, you cannot write this. You can't write this book. So. Was it hard to get so in-depth and just really bear here, all? Here's your money. I'm sorry. Was it hard when you, you know, you got some of these crappy authors, but when you got the good one, was it hard for you to bear all and tell your story? Is that a hard thing to do when you're just opening up? It is. If you want to tell the truth and if you want to tell it like it is, it's hard. I found myself having to walk away from it quite a few times because there's a lot of painful parts. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of parts that make you laugh your ass off. You just can't stop laughing. You're crying. You're laughing so hard because you're remembering parts of things that happened. There was a lot of romance in the books. You know, people call it sex, but some of it was sex. Some of it was romantic. And, uh, a lot of that <laughs> drugs, uh, Music, the way we, we recorded, you know, I didn't want to make it all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll because there was a lot more that happened. The travel, the people I met on my travels, it, it's a really good book. I think Amazon gave it a really great rating. They, they gave it five stars for the first year it was out. I'm going to have to get it now because I have Amazon Prime and it's called Living, Living uh, Like a Runaway, a memoir. So it's on Amazon. Yes. So now I'll be excited to read it. Now, what is it like to be back now? You're touring again. You're out there. You're recording again. How has the music industry changed? And how much fun are you having now that you've, you're have you not a kid anymore? You've grown up. You've seen the industry. You've gone through a lot. You've raised a family. You've done, you know, you've done what most people would strive for, you know, of being a rock star, having a family, what's it like now when you're back? Are you are you are you loving it, and and are you creating new music? Or what's going on in that head? 
Um, I'm loving it, and at the same time, there's a lot of idiots out there, even more so today than there was back then, I think, because of the social media. Um, social media allows idiots to, to hide behind something. You know, they hide behind their internet, and they say something that's disgusting. And I can't stand it. It's just... Uh, I like things the way they were. I wish they hadn't changed. Plus, the money the money isn't as good. <laughs> the money was a lot better back then. Now, do you still love you know, Do you still love playing live? Oh my God, yes! I live for it. We have a kick-ass band. Um, we've got Bobby Rock on drums, who is a monster. And uh, uh, Marty O'Brien on bass, who just plays his ass off. He's, they're so entertaining, my band. And Patrick Kennison, who's a singer and also a guitar player. And uh, the four of us just take over. I, I wouldn't want to be the band that follows up our show. Very powerful show. Now, what's it like? Like, as you said, you like to look into the audience and the, and the spotlight down. What's it like when you see, you know, fans who have their kids with them? I mean, what, what's the feeling that goes through you when you see that? That must be an awesome feeling when they, they bring another generation to the show. Yeah, it really is. Um, as a matter of fact, I gave Patrick a couple of uh, hard times one night. We were... He kept swearing into the vocal mic. I'm like, dude, you want these kids to grow up and remember you like that? No. <laughs> don't swear into the vocal mic. You know, he's like, God, you're right. No, I don't want them to remember me like that. So he stopped. And uh, that was quite funny. So now we get promoters that ask us, this is a family affair. This is a, um, say, a, a summer festival. And uh, we don't want you using the F word. It's like, don't worry, we don't use it. You know, once in a while, one might slip. But how life, how life's changed, huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> we got to wrap up soon. I just got to ask you one question. That that two yeah, I questions. I got another interview. Okay, uh, one question: How did you end up on Chopped? Yep. How did you end up on Chopped? I heard you were on the show Chopped, and I love that show. And was it pressure? Oh, yeah. Was it pressure? Did you feel the pressure of Chopped? Oh my God, I did. I did because I hadn't, I hadn't been with my kids for a while. Um, they were with their dad, and uh, I hadn't cooked in a long time. It used to be that I cooked all the time. I cooked so much. And I knew what I was doing, but that was in my kitchen. When they put you in front of somebody else's in somebody else's kitchen in front of TV, and everything's already ready to go, it's just, oh God, where's the cilantro? You know, <laughs> and you only got so many seconds to find it. So there was a lot of pressure, but it was a lot of fun, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I want to I thank you for taking your time to uh, 
to talk to me today. And now your website is LitaFordOnline.com. Twitter, you're at LitaFord. Yeah. Do you do you tweet a lot? Or are you are you active on the Twitter? Do you try to be active on the Twitter? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Do you tweet a lot? Are you are you active on Twitter? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Okay, well, we're, so, we're all over so, social media. You can find us on Instagram. We're we're on everything. Cool. Well, I want to thank you for uh, for coming on and people. So go to Lita Lita Ford Online. It has it's a great website. It has her her concert dates coming up. All the info. Go buy the book. Thank you, Lita. You have a great day, people. I'm Steve Cooper. This has been Walk My Mind. Also, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. My website is CooperTalk.net, where I have uh, over 400 I'll episodes. Okay, well, thank you for calling me today, and you have a great day, Lita. Thank you. My pleasure. God bless you. Take care. Okay, have a great day. So, people, follow Lita bye Ford. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Follow Lita Ford. Follow me at CooperTalk, CooperTalk.net. My email is Cooper, CooperTalk.net. You guys have a great day, and remember, bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind.